focus will be on chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And while you turn there, please do turn there, I want to remind you of what we are reading. This letter written by Peter, oh, I'm sorry, let me pull this down, I don't need this anymore. Is an inspired word of God. Uh, Though Peter's hand was the one that applied the ink, the letter has God as its author. This message is useful for those who God in his great mercy has called to be born again. These selected individuals are no longer to consider themselves earthly. They have been radically changed and have been given a taste of what can never be forgotten. Their appetites have been elevated to pursue what does not perish. They were given a model of this in the person of Jesus Christ that the mountains of political appeal and and, uh, self-righteous religiosity tried to bury. But he rose from the grave as a victorious, imperishable being, a prototype, a first fruit, if you would. It was through Christ Jesus and his sacrifice that these new children of God were bought and brought to an understanding, even if it was just a glimpse of something new under the sun. What was new under the sun was God's grace and his mercy revealed and a certain hope for things to come that cannot and will not be corrupted. It was not only revealed, but it was given as an indescribable gift to these unworthy men and women who would be unlikely recipients such as you and I. The recipients of this message are the recipients of the gift. Having been brought to new life, they are no longer citizens of this world, but citizens of an eternal heavenly kingdom where they can call their king brother and friend. That's Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. In him, all the storehouses of heaven are open. Up to verse 4, where Fred left off last week, these newborns have been promised an inheritance that is imperishable, incorruptible, permanent. The book of Ephesians says in chapter 1, 13 through 14, you were sealed in him, that's Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. These heirs of heavenly storehouses have been given a down payment even now with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a true, unmistakable presence of God in the kingdom citizen that teaches, reminds, testifies of Christ, convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment, guides in truth, enlightens with wisdom, comforts, and glorifies Christ just to name a few things. He's our ever-present help in time of need. And that leads us to our text today. Please stand, if you would, with me for the reading of God's word. Chapter 1 of First Peter, verse 5 through 9. You, who are protected by the power of God through faith, For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. 
So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Amen. You may be seated. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is true. It stands alone. It's reliable. It's self-defining, self-preserving, incorruptible, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. May your living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword pierce us deeply this morning as, division, as, as deep as the division of soul and spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict us and teach us for the purpose of having transformed minds so that we can become more like Christ day by day. Promote us this morning through, through the word to excel still more so that we can be readily equipped for those very good works that have been prepared for us before the foundations of the earth. It's in Christ's holy name we ask these things. Amen. So today I entitled our sermon, Promise for the Present. And there are three main points that we'll cover that are wrapped up in the following statement written at the top of your notes. It says, believers are secured by God's power in dark hours, revealing what is ours. So let's talk about the first point. We are secured by God's power. Having clearly defined that this letter is to all believers, Peter brings up the concept of protection in verse 5a as it reads, you who are protected by the power of God. What is it that believers need protection from? Well, let's take a look at how he refers to believers in verse 1. If you go back just a few verses, it says, to those who reside as aliens, scattered. In Fred's message last week, he mentioned something that uh, briefly that is so important to understand. We are in a spiritual battle. There are enemy forces that hate us. People, governments, angelic powers. And there are many distractions that could cause a spiritual newborn to lean back on what they formerly trusted to sustain life. In God's merciful and sovereign plan, he intends for believers to reside in this foreign land. It's hostile, and we need protection. Praise the Lord that he has given protection. Just a side note, this sermon's chock full of scriptures that we can't go to. We just don't have the time. I will give references front and back so that you can write them down and look them up later if you'd like. But I just want to give you a heads up on that. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, 
nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38-39. Praise the Lord that we have been given protection. Jan, would you give me my water, please? Thank you so much. Our protection doesn't come with sword or spear. It's on top there. It's on the chair. The chair. Thank you, dear. I appreciate it. Thank you. One of those good works that the Lord has prepared for. We're protected not with sword or spear, but we are protected and secured by the power of God's love. It is truly his bond of love that secures us. Allow me to tell you two quick stories. Last week, I had my um, catalytic converter stolen on my truck. So my truck has two of them. Um, I thought I was out 5,000 bucks. So I called my insurance company and they informed me that I was protected. I had a comprehensive policy that I didn't even know I had. And though it was inconvenient, I didn't incur any damages. I was protected. I accessed that protection by picking up the phone and giving them my account number. Here's another story. When I was a kid, um, I, I, uh, I had a stray dog barge into my house and start attacking my dog. And so in the, in the panic of, of, of the moment, I ran to the kitchen to grab a knife, came back, and stabbed it. I grabbed the knife, but it was a pie cutter. <laughs> Didn't go very well. But the, the, uh, there was protection. There were other knives. If I had grabbed one of those, I would have probably had a better result. Uh, it, and <clears throat> I have protection on this Policy, this auto policy, I have protection from this kitchen. How do we access the protection of the power of God? Let's read on in 5b. It says, through faith. So I know how to use the phone to call my carrier and trigger my auto policy. I know where the drawer is to get my protection from there. What is faith and how do I use it? If this is the vehicle that provides me the protection I need in this foreign, hostile world, I want it to be effective, like my auto policy, not like my pie cutter. I knew, I, as a new believer, I need help with this. I need instruction. Paul says in Romans 10.7, he says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. So what I'm being told is that faith in God was not something that I was born with. It came to me. And it came to me by the words of Christ. I, Chris Rojas, can attest to that. There is a distinct delineation between what my flesh wants and conversely, what I know God wants. And that awareness did not come to me until I was born brought to new life when I was around 15 years old. As a sinner saved by grace, this was new to me, but it was clear. This knowledge of what pleases God was something that 
I can say was foreign to my fleshly nature, but strangely within me after I was brought to faith. The change that occurred can be none other than the Holy Spirit's indwelling. He is the one responsible for this newness. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's God. For he who comes to God must believe that he, God, is. And that he, God, is the rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11.6. So we understand that faith is given. The writer of Hebrews says that faith conjures belief in God and motivates the believer to seek him. And I'm hearing that there are rewards for seeking him. Let's see if Peter tells us about these rewards. Verse C, 5C, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wait a second. The reward is being saved? Aren't I already saved? I thought I was born again. Peter, you just told me that I have an inheritance in verse 4, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for me. We use scripture to, to define scripture. As Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Let's go back to verse 1. Where, that's just a few verses back. To those who reside as aliens. Then he mentions some regions who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and the, the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. There it is. That new voice in my head and heart that instructs me in my day-to-day life as to what is pleasing to the Lord through faith, that's our access, commends me to his sanctifying work. As I submit to blessing or pleasing God, I am in obedience to Christ. And while allowing the Holy Spirit to work these things out, there's grace For when I stumble and where there is success, there is peace to the fullest measure multiplied. No struggle between my flesh, which is weak and the indwelling spirit, which is willing. Because day by day, moment by moment, thought by thought, it is seized for blessing God the father. As I purge myself of the old man, Through the study of his word, increased faith comes on that account. Immediate recognition and obedience are readily available through that activity. And victory over sin, that's my reward. Every victory is a salvation for eternally saved believers. And there will be a last time a last victory, a last salvation when sin is no more. This is the living hope. This is what Peter says in verse six that causes the believer to, look at it, greatly rejoice. 
Put a pin in that phrase because we're going to return to it later on. Let's move to our second point. We are secured in dark hours. And I have another question. While it's glorious to consider what new life is in the believer, that we have been given a spirit of power, of love, and discipline, I feel it, I know it. Through faith, we have access to God by his word and his Holy Spirit. But Peter, I'm struggling. You say I'm an alien in a foreign land. You're right to refer to me as that. My, my eyes are opened and I see that this world is unkind. It's broken, it's diseased, it's dying, and it's clinging and clawing at anything good to try to stay afloat. What word is there for me in my struggles? Well, let's listen to what Peter says in the next, in the next verse. Six, in this you greatly rejoice. Here it is. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various times. In this section, God, through Peter, acknowledges your pain. He acknowledges your suffering. He recognizes that you are distressed. And he knows that this isn't easy. When we consider the brokenness that surrounds us, disease and death and addiction, family conflict, war, famine, drought, perversion, religious persecution, the list goes on and on and on. These are not outside of God's awareness. God's sovereign over these things as well. There's a comfort that he provides, a comfort that we know that we've been heard. We know that we're understood and that there's a plan moving forward. In this little section, we're told that time is of the essence and that these challenges are not random. They're not by chance. They have a purpose. Believer, it is important to understand that God is good. In him, there's no evil. There's no guile. There's no malice. We are encouraged to consider eternity and the inheritance that awaits us as we walk hand in hand with God through these moments. We don't run away from them. We don't ignore them. We take them for what they are. And we rely on God's timing to bring us through them. So what are, what are these trials for? What, why, why do these temptations exist? Let's read on in verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this, this is a little beaten, little, little off the beaten path, but I, I feel I need to share it. In times of trial and tribulation, it's so important to know how special you are to God. You are so much more precious than the birds than the flowers, than even fine gold. 
If indeed, as John 1, 3 says, all things came into being through him, that's Jesus, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, John 1, 3, that means that the story of man is really a story of God, whom he administers love to, is blessed out of the love that he has for himself. Listen to what Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. In the Garden of Eden, way back, man was in a condition where it was possible for him to sin. Man had not sinned and was given only one act that would be sin. But after Adam disobeyed God in that very only one sin, man entered a condition where it was impossible for him not to sin. There was no good value left in the man because he rejected the source of goodness. He rejected creator God. This is where everybody who is a descendant of Adam begins. So unless you were teleported here, that's you. And that's me. Even the best deed of a man, no matter how charitable, even sacrificing his own life, is if it's not done in humility and obedience and submission and honor to God, it's filthy. It's sin. It is God's desire that mankind receive entrance into grace through the gift of faith, the access. Romans 5.2 says, We have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace which we stand. One verse before that, in Romans 5.1, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only then when we enter into a condition where it is possible for man not to sin. It's only there where Christ, where the Holy Spirit redeems a person born again that that individual can produce anything that is good, anything that is noteworthy, anything that is honorable. Without Christ, nothing that a man can do is considered good because it doesn't bring the honor and glory to the creator of good, the one who is good Ness. That's God. This condition that is possible for man not to sin is where every believer who resides as an alien in this foreign land, that is, where, that is the condition he is in. The end goal is that when Christ returns to our lives, to, to returns or our lives draw to an end, then it will be impossible for man to sin. That is the goal. That is the, this is the progression of the plan afforded by God, by by his love poured out for you and me through the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. All of this is to substantiate that you are precious to God. 
Titus 2.14 says, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Believer, you have been purchased by the sacrifice of the Messiah to be a people of his own, his own possession. Your value stems from the value of Christ's perfection and sacrifice. So we still haven't answered the question, what are these trials for? Why do these temptations exist? According to Ephesians 3, 10 through 11, they exist so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. These are the good works mentioned in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that God's word equips us to do. I don't want to pull any punches here. This is the inspired word of God. And you need to know that from the heavenly places, you are being watched. You are being observed. The angels marvel and peer into the grace and peace brought to believers who were formerly enemies of God. This is marvelous, and they can't get it. They don't understand, but it's, it's spectacular. Enemies, now friends. These trials and temptations exist as opportunities that will never exist in eternity future. They exist to showcase the indescribable gift of faith that God has given to you in this present world. They are designed to bring about what Romans 5, 4 says, perseverance, proven character, and hope. Romans 5, 4. These time-sensitive moments when wisely identified as opportunities to glorify God produce a perfection and completeness that God desires to work in and through you. They are of the highest value by God's estimation, more precious than the finest quality of precious metals. It's imperative that when, we, when these moments come, that we do not lean back on the old man, but recognize that God is the star of this masterful play display and he has chosen to share the limelight with you as his child using the faith he has provided us as the bond of his love. Luke 15:10 says in the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke 15:10 when we respond appropriately, when we, when we are right-minded and accept that we deserve no goodness and all goodness has been given to us, it's only then that we can recognize God's will in our lives. And when we perform even just one little act where salvation 
rules and reigns, the heavenlies ignite. The angels celebrate. They marvel. They wonder. It's, it's I'm not going to say pandemonium, but it's marvelous. It's marvelous. And this is, an exor- this is exercise through these trials, through these temptations. When faith is enacted, praise and glory and honor are revealed and Jesus is exalted. You're not alone in these battles. God wants for your success. This doesn't guarantee us health or wealth here on earth, but it certainly provides the reward of becoming more like our risen Savior who is glorified and seated on the throne. That's our design. That is how we are best fit. These moments of trial are designed to increase our faith and give praise and glory and honor to God who returns that in dividends. You want to know how? By adding each righteous act to the fibers of the wedding wardrobe of Christ's bride, the church. As it's written in Revelation 19, 7, 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Every salvific moment that occurs adds to that gown. I wonder if it's it's that gown's completion that God's waiting for in order to come back. I don't know. But I want him to come back. (laughs) And I want to see that gown. So we have seen that we are secured in God's power. We know that security extends even in dark hours. Especially in dark hours. Let's move to our last point of revealing what is ours. I treasured last week's uh, Fred's message. He mentioned our hope is not in a principle, but in a person who's living, having been raised from the dead. Mmm, that's rich. The elder board even discussed that during the week. Our living hope is Christ. The hope that we have in him is not for wishful thinking. It is far more substantial than dreams of what might be. In Christ, there is victory. It is he who vanquished over sin and death. In Christ, we have a blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. We're nearly 2,000 years past the time that First Peter was written. How amazing that it's so pertinent and applicable for us today. It truly is the inspired word of God. Believer, God, through Peter, wants to encourage you today. He commends you in this next part of our passage. Listen to this at the start of verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Recall who God is using to write this letter. The arrogant man of Matthew 26, verse 33, who said to Jesus, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And continues in verse 35 when he tries to correct Jesus. Imagine correcting Jesus. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
we know that these words of Peter did not come true. And he did deny Christ three times before daybreak. Upon rising from the dead, Christ asked Peter if Peter loved him. Do you love him? Did you love me? Do you love me in an unconditional way? A love that would have a result of complete mind, body, heart, and soul submission. And longing for me. Peter could only answer with a bumbling, "Uh, I love you like a brother, man. It's this man who saw Jesus, walked with him during his earthly ministry, saw him go toe-to-toe with the religious elite. He witnessed his power over nature, over demons, over health, and even over death. Having witnessed firsthand all of these and more, Peter struggled to say that he loved Jesus with full commitment. But now, He writes to believers living by faith as aliens in a hostile land, this treasured commendation. And though you have not seen him, you love him. This is that unwavering, sacrificial, yearning love that Peter resisted. There's a sense of amazement in his words as he seemingly repeats himself in the next segment And says, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him. The credit here is a glory to the fine work of the Holy Spirit that provides the faith through the hearing of Christ's words. Anyone who says seeing is believing is completely wrong. And should read 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It is the faith that the Holy Spirit brings through the preaching and teaching of God's word that illuminates the soul with the message of God's love. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. It is the hearing of God's word that brings first faith. It is love that follows That is the unwavering love that was bestowed on us. The way that we endure and persevere through our trials proves and increases this faith. And with this faith, hope, and love, there is completeness in the belief in him. A trust, a reliance. Listen to verse 8 as Peter explains the result of this maturity of believing in Christ. You greatly rejoice. Once again, greatly rejoicing comes into the picture. This phrase has some imagery attached to it. It means to to actually jump around boasting. (laughs) This is a similar word to when, when John the Baptist was constrained in his mother's womb and Mary carrying Jesus drew near with joy. He leapt almost like he wanted to give himself birth. Like, hey, get me out of this thing. Right? Another example of of a similar usage of this word is when Peter and John encounter a cripple who is constrained by his own body. Instead of offering him silver or gold, they offer him healing And taking the extended hand of the apostle, the man 
leapt around wildly, praising God like a deer leaping around, having never walked. (laughs) God, he exists. He's real. He's transformed me physically. It's, It's with this maturity in Christ that the believer, yet again, greatly rejoices when we trust God through our trials. We are loving him. We are believing in him. We are exercising great joy. We are bursting out of our constraints of the old man and giving him praise. It doesn't mean, let me, let me be clear with this. It does not mean that we should put on some kind of mask, like some kind of Cheshire cat, smiling like one disengaged with reality. That's not what Christ did. As he approached the cross, he sweat droplets that fell like blood because of the anguish and agony that he knew was before him. (laughs) Hebrews 12.2 says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And we're further instructed in 12.3 to consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12.3. We're we're intended to experience this life. These trials and temptations, if we don't feel them, we're we're, we're really truly denying what God has put in place. We need to walk through these things. We need to grasp a hold of the cross. We need to rally around one another in brotherly love, individuals filled with the same spirit to support and nurture to health. There's a season for all these things. And Ecclesiastes 3 says... There's a time for every event under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We are human. That's not an insult. God made man as the pinnacle of his creation. Marriage and church would follow, but God eternally attached himself to mankind, to the person of Jesus. Jesus experienced what it is to be a man. We can be encouraged to know that according to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been attempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do not dismiss your trials and temptations. Bring them to God. He gets it. He knows. In doing this, we can function in the design with what Peter says next in verse 8. With joy, inexpressible, and full of glory. Dear brother and sister, what Christ has done to redeem us can never be fully articulated, but it can be known 
Listen to what Paul in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says about this. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Hmm. He's there for us. And, and don't, don't neglect that it's with all the saints. Don't, don't overlook that. We're, we're in this not only with God, but we're in this together. This is what Peter's getting at. The world has no claim in comparison to what Christ has brought to us with his indwelling spirit. God knows you. and God loves you. He proved it. And as the old hymn goes, Jesus to Calvary to go, his love for mankind to show, what he did there brought hope from despair. He gave his life, what more could he get? Oh, oh, how he loves you, and oh, how he loves me, how he loves you and me. As we respond to Jesus' call in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 30, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest with, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we move in and lean into him through our trials and temptations, our faith becomes realized. It moves from the promise to the gift. It provides an evidenced hope. In this remarkable and spiritually driven mindset, the believer receives an honor. As the surety of gladness produces words of praise and rejoicing founded in the belief that was invoked by the faith and love brought by Christ, an overflowing of honor is bestowed on the believer. And the believer can sing with the psalmist in chapter 30, 10 through 12. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 30, 10 through 12. So next, Peter goes on to elaborate on what is ours. In light of the inheritance that was mentioned in verse 4, Peter uses a word here that is powerful. Verse 9 says, Obtaining as the outcome of your faith. The believer in this glorious revelry of what has been received from God, that is faith, hope, and love, gains from the work of the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't like to receive the blessing of somebody else's work? (laughs) The Holy Spirit is at work. And as an outcome of the practice of trusting God, something is released. I think it's noteworthy to say that what you don't see here is penalty for not utilizing faith. There's no demerits in the economy of God. There's only reward. This word obtaining has two implications. One is that a treasure is being stored up in that future inheritance 
The second is that that treasure is accessible here and now. Drawing from the storehouses of heavenly wealth, what we see here is what God can do and only God can do. And that is to provide what is truly good to this fallen and broken world. Through these acts of righteousness and dependency on the Lord, the believer gains both instantly and stores a reward for the future. The end of verse 9 highlights the end goal. It says the salvation of your souls. Salvation has everything to do with deliverance, preservation, safety, welfare, and prosperity. It is believing God's promises are true that allows us to persevere through trials and temptations as we keep our gaze on Christ. He's risen, dear friends. The promise is true. There's no wonder. There's no wonder. As we fix our hope towards the future in the heavenlies with true spiritual gains realized here on earth, we move closer and closer to the comprehensive salvation of the promise. I'd like to close our time together um, by reading uh, Psalm 121. And if you would turn there to read with me. I've been praying all week through this psalm um, for, for, for myself and for the congregation. It just so happened that on Friday night, uh, Matt Davis and I were with a distressed family and, and he, he brought the scripture out and it was such a remarkable blessing by the Holy Spirit just to see how he moves through his people with consistency. Maybe, maybe you were touched by this passage this week. I don't know. But let's read this. I will lift up my eyes to the mountain. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we see these trials and tribulations and temptations and they seem so overwhelming and daunting. I can only say out of my personal experiences because I'm trying to do it myself. Lord, inspire us with your spirit. Convict us to call on you to recognize that our help, it comes from you. We believe in you. You're not a fictitious being. You are real. You walked this planet. You experienced what we experienced. And Lord, you have overcome. Lord, it's, it's you who keep our feet steady 
It's you who keep us standing in grace. Lord, when we are tired, you're not. You persevere. You are steadfast. You are faithful. You are everything that we're called to be. And you have called us to be that. Lord, keep us. Keep us close. Talk to us. Help us to recognize your presence in our lives. Help us recognize that you hold our hand. You are shade for us. We don't need to fear this world. You have us protected. Preserve our souls and give us salvation moment by moment by moment, Lord. Let us never stop with greatly rejoicing, even though there are tears. Let us remain steadfast, recognizing that you are strong. 